Hey there, and welcome to the Snudo Show, brought to you by the Destination Linux Network. Today, we will talk with author and developer Thomas Vitale. We discuss his new book, Cloud Native Spring in Action, and talk about the future of Spring in the cloud era. All that and more on this episode of the Snudo Show. Welcome to the Pseudo Show, your home for all things enterprise open source. I'm Eric, the IT guy, but wait, what's going on? The Pseudo Show, a week early? Why, yes, it is. We're making a slight adjustment to the release schedule in sight of the upcoming holiday season. Next week is Thanksgiving, and instead of promoting a new episode, we wanted to promote time away from technology to spend with loved ones. With that being said, it definitely wouldn't be the Pseudo Show without my favorite co-host, Brandon Johnson. How are you doing today, buddy? Doing great, Eric. Uh, getting ready for the holidays. Uh, gonna smoke a turkey this year. Just uh, trying to also finish out our fourth quarter. So we're uh, trying to finish strong. How about yourself, Eric? <laughs> well, I know I've been driving you nuts the past week with ideas for content, both for the show and for at the office. Well, that's that's kind of what happens when you take a full week off. And, and dude, did I need it? I'm excited to be back in the studio and we really have an awesome show lined up for you all. But before we bring in our guest today, I have to say, this show wouldn't be what it is without the sponsorship of DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. You can get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. DigitalOcean provides a competitive edge for your business while having an easy-to-use interface. They provide one of the most reliable platforms with over 100,000 developer teams worldwide and offer four nines of uptime. Think a service like this would come with a complex pricing scale? Not at all. Enjoy DigitalOcean's flat monthly fees so you'll always know what you are spending. DigitalOcean offers world-class customer support with tech-savvy technicians and even around-the-clock support for premium subscribers. Couple that with DO's security-compliant infrastructure, and you have the perfect formula for hosting your blog, hobbyist site, or enterprise-scale applications. DigitalOcean keeps getting better and better while still keeping the same easy-to-use UI, and who could beat their amazing library of APIs? That is why we are so excited to share their service with you. Just head on over to do.co slash dln to get your own $100 credit to try out all their awesome features. And thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Pseudo Show. Joining us today is Thomas Vitale, author of the upcoming book, Cloud Native Spring in Action. Welcome to the show, Thomas. Thanks, Eric. And hi, Brandon. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for coming. Yeah, we're really excited to uh, to sit sit down, well, virtually anyway, and and chat with you today. This interview's been in the works for for a few weeks now, so excited that it's finally here. Yeah, me too. So, Thomas, when whenever people come on the show, we we like to remind our audience that that the industry is made up of people, of individuals, personalities, different backgrounds. So, why don't we just start out with something simple? Who is Thomas? Yes, so I am a senior software engineer at Systematic, a Danish company where I develop software in the healthcare domain. Besides working in the software engineering field and being really passionate about it, I really like music. Uh, I play the piano and I like traveling, even if it's not possible nowadays uh, in this situation, but looking forward to be able to travel again soon. Yes, that's me in a nutshell. Okay, I have to I have to derail us already. But what 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 kind of uh, what kind of music are you interested in? 
So uh, I listened to different musical genres and also played in different uh, bands and orchestras, pop, rock, blues. I would say that rock music is my favorite, but uh, I listen to different kinds of music, yeah. Now, I, we could take up the entire episode talking about music and genres, because a few a few people may remember that uh, uh, back before I started working at Red Hat, I was actually uh, working as a systems administrator, but on the weekends, I was a lighting designer. So I've, I've worked at rock concerts and country music, just different kinds of things. So we, we could completely get off topic, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But but people came here to hear about you and your book, not not about uh, not about music. So how how did you get into tech? Yeah, I guess it's it was when uh, I was a kid that my father uh, bought my first computer. It was Windows ninety eight operating system. He really got me into computers and taught me all the like all the basics back then. And since then, I started also learning on myself, like exploring different possibilities in the field and when it was time to yeah to choose a career path then uh, i was uh, really sure that uh, it would have been something in tech in particular software engineering what was uh, that something you just fell into like the uh, into fell into software engineering or did uh, or after getting into technology at a young age was that kind of a dream to get into this yeah, I think in high school, I really started like appreciating the fact that I could build something out of software and share with share with people, building something that was actually useful to, to someone else. I really liked that aspect of technology and also the fact that it's always changing, it's always evolving, there's always something new to learn. I'm really curious about everything. So I think it's a, a great field for me to, to work in because there's always something new to learn, to explore, to, to discover. I really like that. So how did, uh, how did you get into the industry? I mean, you mentioned now working in the medical industry, but uh, how did you get into IT to begin with? Yeah, so uh, at the university, I studied computer engineering, specializing in software. I got my bachelor's degree and my master's degree. And then I got uh, a job in the industry directly as a software engineer. And I started working on uh, different technologies in the healthcare uh, sector already. Like my first full-time job uh, was already in this sector. Okay, so you've, you've been a, a lifelong techie. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> You know, let's get into the meat of this. Obviously, for your day job, you work on on Spring on you know Java development. What j- just for our listeners? You know, some of our listeners are ops guys. They, they may not they may be dealing with this technology, but they may not be overly familiar with it. So, if you could just give us you know quick view of what is uh, the Spring framework, uh, you know, follow on. How does that? relate to the Java ecosystem? Yeah, of course. So Spring is uh, started uh, many years ago as a solution providing a dependency injection, a framework for dependency injection and aspect-oriented programming. And back then was a big deal. The alternative was using enterprise Java beans in uh, the Java EE ecosystem. Yeah, there were some issues with, with working with them. So Spring really brought something new in the market. And since then, it evolved and grew into this full application framework that gives you all the tools to build different kinds of applications, whatever are your needs. So right now, it's an entire ecosystem of different projects, different libraries, 
You already brought up one piece I was going to bring up. Uh, what are some of the key differences between Spring and uh, it's now uh, called Jakarta, but people know it as Java EE? So I think the main difference is that when we talk about Jakarta EE, like the new Java EE, so it's a set of specifications and APIs that go through a, a standardization process, while Spring is a is an application framework. So I think that uh, when comparing the two, usually we mean like Jakarta EE implemented by a specific vendor, like if we talk about Wildfly or JBoss, so in the context of at least traditionally of an application server. I think a key point in the comparison that happened uh, a few years ago is when Spring Boot was introduced because the standard way of working with Java applications for the web was to package them as uh, war artifacts or maybe ER artifacts and then deploy them into an application server. And then Spring Boot uh, suddenly revolutionized the the Java ecosystem by having this framework containing already a web server, an embedded web server. And then suddenly you could just run that application containing all the dependencies. And I think it was a game changer and brought us to where we are today also with uh, a different uh, frameworks that uh, have been born like recently in the Java ecosystem. So that's where I, I've been wondering the history of that. So I, I, where did these, where did fat jars come from? Uh, and, and you just answered the question. It, ca- it, ca- it came from, uh, thanks to some of the work done at, with Spring. That's uh, really good to know and understand. Uh, I didn't know that. Uh, so I appreciate that. Are, are, are you familiar with the, any of the newer framework, like uh, other Java frameworks like Quarkus, which, you know, which is more of like a, just an evolution on top of the, probably more of an evolution of the uh, uh, the application server than anything else. But uh, are you familiar with that if, or how Spring relates to Quarkus? Because that, that's been a top of my mind uh, lately is, is that framework. Yeah, so it's a, it's a bit hard to compare, I think, Spring and Quarkus because usually like a comparison is done based on performance or memory mm-hmm. uh, usage. But I think it's uh, we, we should consider the context. Like Quarkus was born already as a Kubernetes native mm-hmm. framework, like in recent years. Yeah, it started like with specific requirements that now are fulfilled in a great way. I mean, it's super fast, especially when you run it in native mode. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's incredible. And Spring, of course, has uh, a lot of uh, history because it's been out there for years, but still is uh, it's keeping up. And I think that in the last couple of years, they both, like both Spring and Quarkus, evolved a lot and influenced each other uh, also like to make themselves better and to uh, keep up with the latest requirements coming from all the experience in uh, building and deploying cloud native applications and functions. A lot of our audience is, is either just getting started or, or at a turning point in their career. So I'm, I've got kind of a two-part question for you. The first part is, what drew you to Spring? What what uh, what got you really fired up? I mean, obviously, you're passionate about Spring. You're writing a book. or. <laughs> So what, what brought you personally towards Spring? Was it just career or was there something specific about the community? Dig into that a little bit. So I got when I got started with Spring, it was by accident, I would say. I was working with Java EE and application servers and uh, I bumped into Spring. So I decided to give it a try. 
uh, the plain Spring framework. So I started like implementing projects that previously I implemented with Java E in Spring. And then I found Spring Boot. And that it was a game changer for me, like uh, from a productivity point of view, from uh, a developer experience point of view was great. And I think still today, what keeps me uh, like working with Spring and also participating in the community and uh, contributing whenever I can to the, the Spring project is uh, the whole developer experience. I can uh, find solutions to the problems that I have. Uh, it's a really great documentation, good community. I'm productive with it and I can solve uh, real problems, like real world problems uh, easily. I've read the chapters that are available. It talks a lot about Kubernetes, which is great. I think that's the future. That being said, uh, cloud native doesn't mean containerized. Can you describe your thinking on applying cloud native development outside of Kubernetes or other container platforms? I really like this question. Because, uh, yeah, I don't like defining cloud native with technologies or specific implementation details. And I don't think we should define it yet by Kubernetes or even containers. And I always like to mention a blog post published by Paul Fremantle on his blog in back in 2010 titled Cloud Native. And in 2010, there was no Docker yet, no Kubernetes, no talking about microservices. There was no Spring Boot, no Quarkus. And yet, we were talking about cloud native back then with specific criteria like uh, Paul Fremantle talked about how to build applications that work well in a cloud environments. Mm -hmm. That still stands today. It's about uh, uh, leveraging the elasticity of the, the cloud environment. So scaling in a dynamic way and have self-service uh, deployed infrastructures, paying only for what you use. All these principles that are still valid today, but they, they have nothing to do with u uh, using containers. And an example also, or a proof when uh, I'm challenged and uh, about not identifying cloud native with containers is, uh, yeah, it's talking about functions. When I develop a function, I'm not uh, considering a container, a Docker container, it's something else. I, I can still work on cloud native applications on a cloud native platform just by producing jar files. That's still cloud native platforms like Heroku or Cloud Foundry, uh, or even on uh, serverless platforms like AWS Lambda or uh, Google Functions, I can upload a jar file and that's my function. Mm -hmm. It's in the cloud, it's cloud native because it takes uh, advantage of the, the cloud uh, computing model, but it's not a container. That's perfect. That's like, you drop the mic and go. I, I, I thought that was good. Uh, I, like, as much as I lo love Kubernetes, I do think it is the future of data center and cloud, but it, yeah, there, there's so much legacy out there. And I, I think that defining cloud native as being, it's it's silly to to keep tying it to containers. Um, even though uh, it, it, for so, you know a couple of years ago it wasn't, but now it, it's synonymous. And I, I personally am like, no, no, it, it could be cloud native can be anything. So I, I appreciate that that perspective. Now let's you know let let's get into the book. I, I uh, you know that's that's one of the big reasons why we're here. We talked about you know everything around it. You know what's in it a bit, but but you know let's talk about it. So you know what led you to writing this book? Maybe together with this, you know, what are you hoping the readers will get out of it? 
I've always liked to have conversations with people around technology and sharing ideas, sharing different aspects of technologies. Uh, I studied writing a, a blog, even if uh, I don't seem to uh, write a lot because I keep drafting all these blog posts and then I want them to be perfect and I never publish them. That's, that's not nice. I'm trying to change that. But I, I really like knowledge sharing, giving back to the community by bringing in what I can. And writing this book is, is about that for me. I'd like the reader to be able to navigate the cloud native landscape, in particular in the spring and container ecosystem in this case. Since we're talking about a very wide landscape, I try to focus on a, a specific set of technologies and ways to build cloud native applications. And I'd like them to learn how to build one, leveraging all the nice features provided by the spring framework and ultimately deploying a cloud-native system made up of different applications on a Kubernetes-based platform. And uh, about the topic, of course, I'm really passionate about Spring. I work with it every day. I'm uh, uh, into cloud-native technology, so it felt natural for me to combine these two passions and writing a book about it. Yeah, there are four chapters out uh, as of this recording, and chapter five should be out any day now if it's not out already. What, what should we expect in the in the coming chapters uh, uh, for, for those that are getting our hands on it uh, as, uh, as the chapters are coming out? Throughout the whole book, uh, the reader will uh, develop a project that will uh, be made up of different uh, applications so that uh, in each chapter, all the new techniques and tools are applied to this project that by the end of the, end of the book will be deployed on a Kubernetes cluster uh, in a public cloud. And this project will uh, be useful to teach and to practice uh, different aspects of building cloud native applications. So we will interact with different uh, data sources and uh, applications also provided by the cloud platform uh, itself. And uh, it will show and demonstrate different techniques uh, for uh, yeah, building a distributed system, how to define interactions between the different uh, components and uh, uh, all of this while step-by-step uh, -step while learning uh, new aspects of building cloud-native applications with Spring. One of the things I really enjoyed, and I've admitted on the show multiple times that I am not a developer, uh, never have been, never even pretended to be one. So one of the things I really enjoy about your book is you, you talk a little bit about theory, about methodology, and then the, the second half of, of the chapter is around code exercises. What, what's really great is you don't have to go in and spin up a, a, a full server and install all these libraries. Instead, you've provided uh, the reader with a series of Docker containers that they can run on their laptop, on their desktop. So I, I felt like that was really, really helpful so that even someone like me who's just vaguely familiar with the different Java architectures can get in, get their hands dirty and play with some of these different exercises. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that. So we, we've kind of hinted at this a little bit, but uh, there's there's only a few chapters out uh, of your book and there's more coming. So how does how does how is that working? Is that uh, is that something through the publisher? Yes. So I really like this uh, approach that Manning has of uh, releasing books uh, like in early access mode. And it feels really natural to me as a developer, like used to work uh, in iterations, like in an agile way. So building something small, uh, release it and then get feedback uh, and then iterate over it and improve it uh, and expand it. From that point of view, it feels natural to me to release chapters like periodically and get feedback there's a, a forum on the Manning website where uh, readers can uh, provide me with uh, 
maybe some inputs or feedback uh, if there's any mistake or something that they would like. I covered in the book. Uh, and it's really great that because, yeah, I don't have to wait a year to actually see the result, but uh, I can write a better book because I get input from the readers so I can help them in a, in a better way. So provide something that is more useful and will produce more uh, good effects on uh, on their job. It's almost like Manning brought DevOps to book publishing, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's another word like cloud native that uh, <laughs> yeah, starts a whole new conversation. <laughs> well, well, before we start planning the next follow-up interview, when uh, when can folks expect the the, the final book to be released? Uh, yes, the final release date is uh, planned for uh, uh, next year, early summer, like June twenty twenty one for the printed version of the book. Perfect. And and, and I love how you included planned in, in, in your description of the release date. Yeah, it's like when building software, right? There's always some uh, uh, <laughs> unexpected event. <laughs> Before we dive into Thomas's big book announcement, we have to tell you all about one of our favorite open source projects. That's right. It's Bitwarden, the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, and business organizations to store, share, and sync sensitive data. Wait, wait, wait. You know what we haven't done yet? We haven't told our listeners what they actually get for Bitwarden's low, low price. We've talked about use cases, open source, and security, but never the features. Give the people what they want, Brandon. Give them their features. Great point, Eric. For just $10 a year, you get all the free-to-use features, plus one gig of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, Vault Health Reports, time-based one-time password authenticators, and priority customer support. All that benefit for just $10 a year. That is a heck of a deal. So head on over to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get your amazing password manager. And thank you to Bitwarden for being a sponsor of the Pseudo Show and the entire Destination Linux network. So as I teased just a moment ago, it sounded like you brought a little gift for some of our audience. You want to you wanna share of course, uh, I brought uh, five codes to get uh, my ebook for free. That's awesome. So to be registered to win, just head on over to Twitter or your favorite social media platform and either retweet the announcement of this episode or post about it and tag Pseudo Show Podcast. Between now and the release of our next episode, five randomly selected winners will receive a download code good for a copy of Cloud Native Spring in action. So Thomas, now that our listeners have gotten a chance to know you a little bit today and, and have heard a little bit about your book, what's one tip you would want technologists to know? people getting started or people that are interested in Java development? What's what, what's one little tidbit that you could share? I would say be curious and be open to try different technologies and don't start from the technologies, but start from the problems that you're trying to solve. And from there, pick the right tool and the right uh, solution. That's amazing advice. And and I think Thomas earns two mic drops today just because, mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's perfect. It's not the technology. It's find a problem and then find a solution. So, Thomas, thank you so much for coming on the show, for talking development and, and producing your amazing book. I, we really appreciate your time and hope to have you again on the show here uh, come June. And thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. As always, your feedback is welcome. Head on over to pseudo.show slash discuss. Once again, don't forget to share this episode on social media to get a chance to receive a free copy of Thomas Vitale's book, Cloud Native Spring, in action. If you would like more of Brandon and I, you can find it over on our website, pseudo.show, and on social media at pseudoshowpodcast. You can catch more awesome content over at our network partners, destinationlinux.network. Brandon, anywhere else you'd like to send folks? You can follow me on Twitter at dbrandonjohnson 
or my website at open-tech.net. And you can follow me at ITGuyEric or on ITGuyEric.com. Remember, the Pseudo Show is your place for all things enterprise open source. Until next time. Thank you.